0: Before we get to Chris, I want to highlight Schaefer's Playbook of the Week, which we talk about on today's episode. It's a weekly interactive educational series put on by our traders here at Schaefer's. It's a live session that you can tune into or download after, 50 minutes or so every Monday, and it features a recap of the prior week, bullish and bearish watch lists, a stock of the week, which we'll get into in great detail today what to watch in the week ahead, plus a whole bunch of educational musings on options and investing terms. Uh, This isn't even part of the ad read. Honest, this is an awesome product that we've been rolling out. I truly feel lost entering the week without it, and it's done in such a digestible, concise manner. It's it's got you excited on Monday mornings to, to to start your trading week. It's the perfect tool to begin your options trading journey And join us next week and realize all the benefits of starting your week with Matt or Chris with a $10 trial to our playbook of the week. That's it. $10. Once you see it, you'll love it, and you'll qualify for a discounted membership to Bernie's premier live trading program. Head to the link in this episode's bio or call 1-800-448-2080 to sign up. That's 1-800-448-2080. Now, here's Chris. Welcome back to Schaefer's Market Mashup. Thanks to everybody that listened to last week's solo session. Always a shock when I see people actually want to hear me and only me. Thankfully, we're done with that. We've got Senior Market Strategist Chris Pribal back on for a long overdue CHOP session. Chris, how you been?
1: Welcome back, everyone. I've been good. Been good.
0: Great. We've got a whole bunch of stuff to get into. We've got our eyes on a whole lot of things. But first, as you've just heard in the ad read, very excited about our playbook of the week that we've been doing every Monday. We have a deal running right now. Uh, I think it's $10 trial and Chris is fresh off his, was this your first playbook?
1: This was my first ever, yeah, it was an exciting process. Glad I did it, I mean it's good preparation for the week and any investor or option trader, it's a a great segue into a new week.
0: Yeah, I love it and I like transcribing it and reposting the stock of the week out on our website. So your most recent one, is a bullish play. Uh, the stock of the week is Toast. Ticker T O S T. You mentioned the the golden cross, and and I'll let you explain that. That for, was that what first drew you to Toast, or was it something else?
1: I found Toast on a screen searching for stocks within a certain percentage of their two hundred day moving average. That was the first time that the ticker came across my screen. And what I re- realized and what I liked about that is that since Toast's IPO, they had been trading lower. So this was the first time ever that Toast was above the 200-day, which, I mean, it seems sensical because the stock had sold off from their IPO. But you you look back at every chart that you pull up and There's times that they're above and below the 200 day, and it just struck me as odd that here's something you know that people obviously like it's a useful product and it's just been sold ever since the IPO. And once it crossed that 200 day, and then the subsequent golden cross where the 50 day caught up and it crossed that 200 day, it was just like a cherry on top of the Sunday.
0: I guess, would you call 200 day a longer term?
1: Most people that are investors would. If you're a day trader, it's definitely longer term. Um, if yeah, if you're trading the market short, short term, I doubt you're paying attention to the 200-day. It's just too slow for what they do.
0: Mm-hmm. And then you just dug deeper from there. Uh, but what other contrarian factors did you see there? The
1: 200-day, just going back to your previous point, is often a demarcation point for a stock or an equity, you'll pull back to that level and they either bounce or you'll break through that level and you'll continue to accelerate the selling to the downside. So it's just one of those uh, Mendoza lines like baseball, you know, you get your 200 average, you want to be above that line. It's just one of those uh, psychological indicators more than anything. Um, In addition to the technicals there, Toast IPO at 40 a share. So the 20 20 a share was half that high or half that IPO level. And it had acted as support recently too, in addition to the 200 days that so you had. You actually had the 200 day, the 100 day, and then you had the half of the IPO on a short-term upsloping chart. Um, you do run the risk that this is a technology company and the Fed's going to raise interest rates. And it's very difficult for software companies that don't generate much profit right now to be sustained in a rising interest rate environment because their financing costs are going up and they're not making any money currently. So it's a difficult pickle to be in.
0: I should note that it's Wednesday, November 2nd. We're a couple hours away from Paul speaking and the likely 75 basis point interest rate hike there.
1: Toast Toast had some, I like to look at six month relative performance to the s p 500 just as a indicator of whether the stock's been strong or weak in the six-month time frame and toast had it had gone positive over the six-month period and when i put on this trade it had a six-month game of of 15 percent versus a negative six percent for the spy at the time so it was outperforming in a turbulent market um subsequently in august they reported earnings, they beat on revenue, they beat on earnings and they raised their guidance. So you're coming off of a fundamentally strong picture. You've got a technically improving landscape. And then from the sentiment side, short interest had been rising alongside this bullish uh, base, this pivot run, and it's, the shorts are riding it up and they had increased, the short position was up 35% over the past month. So there, there is, uh, contingent of investors that are short in the stock, and if they get tired of losing, if Toast continues to rally, they're going to have to cover. And we've all seen the short covering rally, and I'm sure you've covered it in many of these pods, mm-hmm. uh, how tenacious that rally can be when you get the, the rush to the exit for the short seller.
0: Very well put. Yeah, there's a lot to like about that stock in that matter that you, you see in your day-to-day life, the applications. You're, you're, you're going to a restaurant, you're seeing the Toast app there. And so there's um there's some real-world applications there that make that an exciting trade.
1: Not only do you see the Toast app and the hardware, but you realize that it streamlines the entire process for the restaurant and for the customer. Mm-hmm. You, don't, you don't have that middle person that's scratching down on a notepad what you had ordered. And there's no, uh, passing that order to the cook, you know, via, via talking and whether or not they're comprehending what the server is saying, it's all automated.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: So your chance of air drops considerably and the time that you can fulfill this order increases. It's a win-win.
0: Did you ever work in the restaurant industry? I started out yeah in the food service
1: industry when I was younger. Um, it was at a golf course, Sharon Woods here in Ohio, so it was rather uh, laid back. It wasn't as pushy as, uh, you know, a fast food at McDonald's or Taco Bell. So it wasn't that bad. How about yourself?
0: No, I I did did like the front desk or the 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 front food court for a golf course at Avon Fields.
1: Oh yeah, um,
0: but there wasn't any actual cooking, and it was just throw a hot dog on the grill or. Or anything like that, I didn't have any kind of assembly line stuff going on uh nothing like for the you know the the Hulu show, The Bear, which is been my favorite show of the year so far. nothing like that where you're in a restaurant and you're part of an ecosystem there
1: yeah, when you have a kitchen and a staff and there's people moving around left and right, I mean it's very hectic, especially during you know the the peak work hours, you know the dinner rush. And anything you can do to streamline that and make it easier for the restaurant it makes a more successful restaurant.
0: For sure, for sure.
1: And I actually reviewed I had the time to look over their corporate presentation from the past month. Their toast is it does a real good job of, uh, if you go to their website, you can get a monthly presentation that they presented to the analyst. And on top of the th- three base products that they have, the point in sale, the hardware, And then the payment processing end, they've got elective products that they're adding in addition to this, like an online ordering. Uh, They'll take care of your payroll, they'll take care of your scheduling. Um, They've got a capital component so they can finance. If you want to grow your business, they can finance you. So they're branching out off of this main product in a a lot of different, you know, gift cards, email marketing, um, all kinds of analytics that the restaurant. Owner gets to see, you know, from time to product orders. Um, it's very detailed, and uh, it, I don't own a restaurant personally, but if I did, I would use the Toast platform personally.
0: Wow. Yeah. No. We we like all of that transparency, and there's a lot of ways that you can you can benefit from that so ticker T O S T. That's definitely one to watch. Pivoting a little bit, I wrote all about lithium mining and the stocks in that sector. I won't repeat much of that, but I have been looking at EVs a lot. For the first time in eight years, I'm finally in the market for a car and doing deep dives into the technology behind them, lithium mining and the microchips and the semiconductors. Um, I saw a live event today, ticker LTHM slashed its full year guidance. What what do you have to add, and, and, and what are your thoughts on on the EV sector, the the lithium mining, or anything adjacent to it?
1: I don't know if you saw my email this morning. I put together the, I did. the five the five main lithium stocks, and I looked at their their buy to open option activity, and it, it's apparent from that chart that there are a lot of call speculators chasing this trade already. Um, With the pullback today in most of the stocks, you're finding a a little technical sell-off, but it appears within a general uptrend. It's not as if the uh, they're creating a new downtrend. It's just a pullback within an uptrend. You've got skepticism on several of these players still. I mean, even though you got they might be call heavy, those options are going to expire. Most people are trading short-term options these days, so they could expire a week from now and you could remove that that headwind. Uh, but from an analyst point of view, I'm looking at Alba Marley. You know, it has as many hold ratings as it has cells. Uh, lithium, livent that you just said, it has about twice as many hold cells as it has box. And then uh, the other ones are not as slanted, but I wouldn't... I'm just trying to d- dissect the different levels of sentiment. Um, you know, Tesla is your leader. Uh, so you got all the the airplay there, but it's just a matter of, if we're gonna ramp up production at such a high pace, there's gotta be uh, battery players that step up and serve the market since Biden has stated that if you wanna build an electric vehicle in America, it has to use what 75% components have to be derived from um, our continent. Mm -hmm. So who is going to manufacture all those parts if it's not a Chinese company?
0: Yeah, the the supply and demand side of it all is very exciting, especially from a longer term perspective, because this isn't some trend or fad. This is something that's going to be a fabric of our transportation and infrastructure for a very long time.
1: Yeah, we don't really have another choice from a climate point of view. Um, I look forward to the advancement of lithium batteries serving the diesel engine industry. Mm -hmm. I I don't know how many times I pull up next to a Duke energy contractor or a waterworks contract or any contractor that you see on the street. And these guys will have their trucks running and they're not even in the truck. They're out 50 yards away having a meeting with some other people and they just leave their truck running. And I'm like, do you, do you not read the news? Do you not realize what's going on across the globe? Um, I understand for a police officer or an ambulance to leave their truck running because they need to get in and go immediately. But for a contract worker or a utility worker to leave their truck on unattended, it's, it's sickening, really. I mean, I want to yell at the person, but, you know, I'm too nice of a person to approach them. But man, we all got to do a better job of reducing our carbon footprint. And this is one step that the government is saying, you know, we need to speed up this process. Mm
0: -hmm. And it's definitely a technology that is, right now, it costs a lot and there's, you know, the, the company's margins are difficult because it's still in its infancy. But in three or four years, if there's some technology that's developed that streamlines it, that makes it easier, it really does feel like what I think the New York Times article called it is the white gold rush.
1: Yeah, they'll they're, they'll have the ability to scale up. That's I
0: mean, that's that's the word I was looking for. You know, it's it, this is a scalable technology with supply and demand in. Only going to get more feasible.
1: And it leads you leads you back to the lithium-ion battery. Because you can't have the electric car without this battery.
0: A little adjacent to what you were talking about as far as you know your carbon footprint. I did you know, World Cup's coming up. You and I are big golfers. We've been embroiled in the live drama for the last year now. It's something I've been meaning to talk about on these podcasts you know given our line of work the relationship between ethics and investing you know whether you think of oil companies and the fracking and the exploration there or even something as simple as coca-cola one of fifa's big sponsors and fifa fifa in league with qatar or a company like callaway Although I know that a lot of people are dropping, a lot of companies are dropping their sponsorship of Live and the Saudi Arabia stuff. But how do you how do you rectify that? How do you balance that uh, between being an investor and then also trying to ha- have this ethical code?
1: It's difficult because the Live situation is so sensitive and delicate. And I see your point about the oil industry and you want to clean up this planet, obviously there's going to be a profit motive. Anytime you run a business, don't you want to run that business for a profit? Isn't that the point of a business model? Is that to extract money?
0: But what, what I'm wondering is as an investor or as someone interested in making money, do you do you have second thoughts about you know, buying a call option on Marathon Oil or or something along those lines?
1: You do. Yeah. Uh, it's crossed my mind. Mm-hmm. Do I want to participate in what they're doing, uh, whether I like it or not? Uh, at the end of the day, there, there are only so many opportunities in the marketplace. Mm-hmm. And if you're going to let your political or environmental – whims or thoughts, uh, lead or be your strategic weapon in the stock market, I don't think you're gonna have very good results because you're excluding a sector or an industry or component of the market just based off of, I don't like the way they do business, so I'm not gonna invest with them. So if you say that about oil companies, I'm sure you could say that about the banks. Mm-hmm. I'm sure you could say that about some industrial companies. I'm sure that you could say that about the utility companies. I mean, you, if you go sector by sector and say, oh, well, I don't like the way they're doing business or I don't like the way they're running, you're going to be left with like, what, two or three sectors to invest in? That's a good point. I mean, it's a broad, it's a
2: broad market. And it, you, can't, it, you can't let
1: your your emotions or your uh, global logic supersede an in investment opportunity. I, You know, I... it's like going to the casino and you go to the roulette wheel and you're looking at all the numbers and you're like, well, I don't really like the color red, so I'm just going to play black and green.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Good luck with that.
0: I definitely think you have to Check a lot of your, you know, political, social capital at the door. If you know, your interest is is solely to make money, especially if you're an investor, especially if you're an options trader, like like you said, your your percentages go way down if you hold that your core values close. Now there, I think there, and I I think this will become a fascinating thing in the next. 15 to 20 years is how that becomes balanced because you have company, you know, the corporate social responsibility, but then how much of that is bullshit? I think it's a- I think we're
1: seeing it play out right now before these elections. There's a lot of uh, pension funds that are removing any uh, oil investments from their their strategy, from their overall portfolio. Mm Mm-hmm. They're they're just saying we, we don't want these companies in our portfolio anymore. And you know, whether they're going to BlackRock or whether they're going to whatever hedge fund manager, they're just saying, I want all this removed. I mean, I I see it every week where there's a certain group where they're they're done with fossil fuel investments. They don't want those representing uh, their portfolio going forward. So there's kind of a there is a, a movement going on. Currently, that kind of dovetails with what you you just brought up.
0: There won't be a paradigm shift, but it's such a nuanced subject that I think there will be slight adjustments here and there, especially depending on what the you know the macro outlook is. Like you said, we are facing a lot of global crises, and if these get exacerbated, then it's definitely something you know you if the situation stinks so much you 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 really have to tweak your your investment thesis but that's something that you know was always on my mind as not an investor strictly just as a someone in either journal you know wh- whatever you want to call my field you know picking the brain of someone who is you know fo- focused on making money um but we have about eh, 10 minutes here I do want to hop away from that since both of us definitely got on our soapboxes there. Um, And then just do some quick hitters around the market about any sectors and stocks that you're keeping an eye on. As we close out the year, I know you mentioned the electrical grid companies. I saw when we did our best and worst of November that a bunch of them, let me find the tickers, um, FE. ED, EXC, uh, SO, DTE, all historically underperformed in November. I didn't know if there was any kind of connection there. What what was the connective tissue? Um, but yeah. Long story short, what do you got your eye on as we you know close out twenty
1: twenty two? Well, I'm focused on the Fed today. I know there's eighty eight percent probability that we'll get the three-quarter, the 75% increase. And then I went out to the CME FedWatch tool before we got on here, and I looked out to December. And right now, if you assume the 75 this afternoon, there's about a 50-50 chance that we'll either get a 50% or another 75% interest rate rise in December, in addition to the 75 today. So you're looking at By February of 2023, uh, the highest probability that the market is pricing is that interest rates will be 100% higher uh, than they are now by February. So four months from now, expect interest rates to be one full percentage point higher. That's what the market is pricing in. That's not me. Mm -hmm. So that's what we're staring at going into the seasonally strong end of the year. And you got to remember, Fed is looking at employment and they're looking at wages and neither one of those indicators have shown any uh any signs of stopping their unbelievable run i mean wages continue to rise and and employment continues to be very low and
0: right there there were some numbers that came out today i saw just briefly that were incredibly strong and that
1: the fed has to keep their foot on the brake they have to
0: maintain
1: some discipline. Uh, they have to raise rates no matter what people dream or want or wish. Um, they've got a job to do. They've got to lower this interest rate and I know, or lower the inflation rate. And I know people say, well, inflation, there's already signs of it turning over. And it's like, so you're, you're going to tell the fed to just guess, you know, use a guesstimate. what well, oh, well it's supposed to go down in the future. So let's, let's take that. They they're looking at hard data from, the past month and the past quarter. And when they look at that data, they, they don't really have a choice. They've got to slow down the train. I mean, if you aren't prepared for that, you're still living in that zero interest rate wacky world where anything can go up in value. If you got a good business idea, oh yeah, that's $10 billion valuation. It's like, well, what were their sales last year? And you come to find out it was only a, 150,000 in sales, and they're worth $10 billion. And you, you scratch your head and you say, What? Why? Why would a company that has minimal revenue be valued at such a high level? And I think the Fed is doing a, a good job of bringing the market back into a valuation metric. I, I look, the SP's about 16 or 17 times uh, the past year's earnings. Which anytime you get above twenty, that's usually you're expensive. Anytime you get below fifteen, that's usually a good buy. So we're kind of still in that little sweet spot that the Fed can push the market lower, and we're not really on sale. You know, there's a discount on stocks right now for sure. Everyone likes a sale, yeah. but they're not really rock bottom prices
0: yet. Yeah, it's not silly season. And
2: you're
1: not. You're you're not at those long long term moving averages like the five hundred day or the one thousand day.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, those have historically been the best times to pounce. We're we're not there yet. You know, we're in a short term bullish bounce in an intermediate and long term downtrend.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And the well, Fed's going to keep that up. I'm telling you, they they don't have a choice.
0: Yeah. Love looking at those long-term averages. I think it really crystallizes a lot of things.
1: It puts everything in context. Mm -hmm. Another thing I'm doing right now is the three-year relative strength look back. And I look at the three-year because it encompasses the before COVID, during COVID, and after COVID. So you can see how this stock reacted throughout those different environments. And it's just fascinating to me to see a stock that's below their COVID lows. And you ask yourself, wow, that's that's not good. <laughs> you know? That's Think about definitely... that. And you that's... find stocks that are at their COVID lows, and analysts love them. And people are buying calls left and left and right, expecting this big bounce. Why is the stock at COVID lows in the first place? Maybe it's a shitty investment. You know? Why would it not have gone up through that entire COVID period where the government flooded everyone's bank account with money and your stock can't go up during that? So that's where the three-year look back in relative strength, that's that's one of my flavors of the week. That's the shiny object for me.
0: Yeah, that's that's great and definitely something, to, something tangible to latch onto and chew on if you're a listener. Chris, as we wrap up here, first of all, I found a nickname for you. I'm not sure how deep into baseball you are, but I remember this guy was a big fantasy baseball guy back when I was playing in high school and everything. You are Chone Figgins because you are, it's it's a utility man. He's He can play any position. He can talk about anything. Like we we talked about this before we aired. You know, you you got your hand in all sorts of different areas. And that's why we love having you on because you can really shed light on any sort of topic.
1: Well, with that being said, I wanted to remind you about the copper. Dr. Copper, we talked about the 50% Fibonacci retracement from the COVID low to the COVID high. Uh We have traded at 350 for four months straight. Woo! Four months straight, right at that 50% level of that range. So that pretty much tells you that there's a lot of indecision out there, and people do not know if we're going to go lower or we're going to go higher. But I tell you, when the Fed makes that decision later on today, we're probably going to find out.
0: Yeah, I'm excited.
1: I'm excited for it.
0: I love it, Chris. Thanks for coming on again, man. You are just a just a wealth of knowledge here. And and, 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 you, and you, yeah, it's it's honestly we can keep going for for an hour, but let's let's cut it here. Um, anything oh, else you're kind of, any anything else you'd like to say and wrap up and finish uh, with?
1: Hopefully the audience got a lot out of this pod. And if you guys have questions, please send them in. We'll focus on them in the next pod or will we'll, I'll single-handedly email you a response to your questions. So send them in.
0: For sure. For sure. I'll put the emails in the episode bio so we can, you guys can reach us pretty pretty easily. All right. Cheers, Chris. Thanks, Patrick.